Hello, everybody, and welcome to another week of the Week in Film Tech with Charles Hain, where I cover all of the gear and filmmaking news that you guys miss out on because you're on set or in the post lab and you can't read every blog the way I read every blog and uh, go to all the trade shows. So up this week, we're doing a final week of Cinegear cleanup. So obviously, last week, the Mac Pro sort of ate up some of our Cinegear coverage. So we're picking up on four little stories from Cinegear that I thought were worth covering that were really interesting. And uh, even though Cinegear was two weeks ago, it's still stuff people should know about. So we got Ajinu Optimu Primes, Gaffer-controlled DMX box. We've got a new matte box from Bright Tangerine. And we've got some socketable lights from Aperture that we saw at NAB. But based on NAB feedback, they've already improved them by Cinegear. All that, and actually no Hey Professor this week, because nobody Hey Professored me. I got not a single Twitter question. So no Hey Professor this week, but if people hit me up on Twitter at Charles Hain, you can Hey Professor me next week. I also got to say before the break, I am June 20th. If you're in New York, come. I'm moderating a panel for Adorama Inspire. It's a panel on business and entrepreneurship and film. I'm talking to the founder of Ncrawl, a dude who runs a production company, a business journalist who transitioned into producing, John Miller, the founder of Hive. So we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship skills and how those apply within the filmmaking industry and also how they've affected our storytelling. Week in Film Tech, June 13th, 2019. And our top story this week is Ingenue. So if you don't know who Ingenue is, they are a French lens company, and they're best known for Zooms. They made primes back in the 50s. They made primes that Orson Welles loved. They make nice primes back then, but they really leaned into cinema Zooms. And at a certain area of the market, there's like Panavision Zooms and Ingenue Zooms in terms of the real top-end, big, beautiful, usable. Um, there are a lot of big DPs who just moved over to using Ingenue Zooms for everything, using them as a variable prime. They're beautiful glass. They open really wide. And the Optimo line has been their line, oh, God, 15 years now, I guess. I shot a project on the Ingenue 25 to 250, which is a big lens back in 2006. Could almost be 20 years the Optimos have been out. They've been out for a while, and they're very popular. And what's interesting about Ingenue, obviously, we have a lot of cinema lens choices in the world. But two of the big dominant arenas are Zeiss and Cook, especially in the 90s, early 2000s. They really owned it. Cook is very creamy. Zeiss is very sharp. So you would see Cook on, like, Cider House Rules, Lasse Holstrom, like... And then you'd see Zeiss on, like, David Fincher. Not always the case. There are exceptions. That was the stereotype we had for these lenses. So what's interesting now is that Ingenue has always been sort of in the middle. Like, if you have a spectrum between Zeiss and Cook, Ingenue is, like, a little creamy, but also a little sharp. It's a very interesting way they've tuned those lenses. And so most people feel like you can just intercut between an Ingenue and the Cooks or the Zeiss. Or a large number of other lenses. Ingenue's also done a lot of work to make their lenses compatible with Super 35, or you can swap out the back, and then it'll be compatible with full frame. So you're seeing Fujifilm just came out with their Promista full frame zooms, so those are going to be really competing in the market, because Fuji also makes really nice cinema zooms. But I think we're already seeing a lot of the full frame stuff out there. When they're going zoom, they're going Optimo. Although, you know, those Promistas are nice. Gotta be on the lookout and see. Regardless, Ingenue is a brand name that cinematographers love. The imagery is really great. We all really love it. And so it's super exciting that they're now coming out with a full line of Optimo Primes. This is big news. They cover full frame. They're consistent aperture. It's all of the things you were looking for, but it is from Ingenue. And it's going to intercut even more perfectly with Ingenue Zooms. And the reason why this is interesting is originally cinema zooms didn't really cut well with cinema prime. There were original cinema zooms in the 70s and 80s that were very nice, 
but didn't quite intercut perfectly with primes. You would see a little bit of image quality loss, a little bit of vignetting. They just wouldn't feel sort of magically perfect. Ingenue, super high quality zooms that intercut perfectly with primes, but now you can also get Ingenue primes. So if you're in a situation where you want to be 100% confident that the color is going to absolutely match and you're not going to get any changes in your image from switching back and forth between zooms and primes, like for instance, let's say you're a DP and you're like, I'm going to live on my Optimo zoom for 90% of the show, but I need primes around for Ronin work and for uh, Steadicam work and for whatever else I'm doing in that arena, you would then presumably want to rent the Optimo Primes, which is super exciting. So those are coming out sort of over the fall and next spring, but they were there in Cinegear and you could check them out. And it is sort of like a big set of news, especially for this company that really hasn't made a Prime in like 50 years. Up next, another cool thing at Cinegear was some hands-on time with Gaffer Control. Gaffer Control is actually a unit that I haven't actually personally used, but I'm very much excited about it. It is like a little Pelican case. And it is a very sophisticated DMX control for lighting in a little Pelican case. So you can use wireless DMX. You can use cabled DMX. You can use whatever you want in order to control your lights. If you've gone light shopping recently, you've likely noticed DMX in the specs of a lot of lights, right? If you buy the new Hive 575, it's got DMX control. Uh, I just had a call with the Anthem folks. Anthem, full native DMX control. DMX control is the protocol we use to control our lights remotely. Now, separate from that, most app, uh, lighting companies will also have an app. You don't want to be in a situation where you're opening like seven different apps. You want to be in a situation where one unit lets you control all of your lights, even if they're from different brands. And DMX is sort of the open standard that we use to do that. And there's hue and brightness controls. Actually, because it was a theatrical staging thing and those lights are motorized, there's also protocols for like moving the light, like pan it or tilt it because on a big Broadway stage, those lights will all be mo in motorized yokes. So DMX has a very robust protocol that's very useful. And the gaffer control is a really nice way to, in a very small package, have a lot of that control. Now, a lot of you have been on stages and you've seen these giant DMX boards. They're still great. They're still super useful. But we're entering this weird transition where for a long time, I never thought about DMX or remote light control as being something I was doing on like an indie shoot on location. I thought about DMX control for like I'm on a stage, I got a DMX operator, we've got all our lights wired into it, we have the time to do a pre-light, we get it all dialed in, and then we can do some cool dynamic changing effects. What the gaffer control box is really all about is this transition we're seeing to, like, all lights having DMX support. There are lights you could buy today that don't have DMX built in, obviously, but a tremendous volume of the lights we're seeing hitting the market do have DMX built in. So you're, we're very much in a situation where... Uh, even on these little indie location shoots where you're just out there in the field with like five lights, you could theoretically rig them up DMX and there's wireless DMX and cabled DMX. They're both sort of open formats and you could take that uh, format and then you could do dynamic lighting changes and control. And even if you don't want to like program a lighting change where it goes from day to night in shot or something, just the ability to like have the gaffer sitting at the monitor and sliding up and down on all of the controllers and really doing that final 5% polish uh, while looking at hopefully a properly calibrated, beautiful 50 inch monitor on set is like sort of a super exciting set of things. So that is certainly something that I think is very much worth taking a look at. Next up from Cinegear, Bright Tangerine was showing off the Prodigy map box. So Bright Tangerine is one of those interesting companies where, I mean, it's a very distinct name. Although one of the things I like about the name is that it doesn't tie themselves to any one thing. You know, it doesn't have, it's not like VR, 
And you're like, all right, well, once you put VR in the name of your company, you can't do anything else. You see that a lot with companies where they're like, we're going to build this one thing. And then they name it. I like the name Bright Tangerine. It's got like a, a pleasant broadness to it. So they make a lot of very popular map boxes that are a little bit more affordable, but still very high quality. They make some really nice stuff. And they just came out with the Prodigy, which is a $3,000 map box, which obviously a little pricey. It's actually not. I mean, if you look at like an Airy LMB or something, it's a little more than that. But like in the bright tangerine universe, it's at the end. It's at the top end. But the reason why is a built-in motor that can blow air onto the filter on the front of your lens. So you put a filter in there. You've got this little like blower on top of it. So if dust or water is hitting your filter, it can get blown right off. And that's super useful in certain situations, right? We've all worked on those projects where like nothing you can do can keep that filter clean. And uh, you know, whether it's like a heavy rain shoot or frankly, you're working on a horror movie and there's like blood splatter on the lens, this has happened. Or, you know, typically you're out, you're doing a dust shoot, you're out in the desert, that kind of thing. Um, all of that stuff really accumulates on the front of your lens. You can swap a, a filter in, use the blower, and it'll blow all of those to keep it clean. Now, there have been a lot of solutions that have done similar things to this for a long time. Um, you know, on Soy Cuba back in the 60s, they rigged up a periscope system because submarine periscopes have to have something similar that when it gets above water, it blows the water off. And on Soy Cuba, they rigged up a periscope system to the camera so they could do a shot that was from underwater to out of the water and it would blow the air off and it would be sunk to the camera so the fan would be in front of the lens when the shutter was in front of the lens which you can do on a film camera because there's a shutter that goes in front of the lens on a video camera where you might be shooting a 360 degree shutter there's no black spot there's no darkness moment it is capturing image the full time so we're starting to see much more solutions that aren't like a spinning fan and you know panavision i think had uh, spinning fan thing for a while and there are a lot of them out there but I really like the idea of this blower system because when shooting digitally I don't have to worry about syncing it up I don't have to worry uh, I can use the full range of my shutter angle however I want to use it and I can keep things off my lens when necessary obviously one of the big parts of this is they have a lot of filtration built in so they are not sucking dirty air into the blower and then blowing at 300 miles an hour or whatever that dirty air full of dust onto the filter. But if there's dust on the filter and it gets blown off, probably don't want your nicest filter to be the filter, the front filter in the stack. I suspect you'll use like an optical clear in there, um, just in front of the rest of your more expensive filters in order to make sure that if the filter does get damaged, if somehow a giant rock flies out or something and then, or just a big enough piece of dust and the blower blows it out and it scratches it, you're protected. Last up from this year's Cinegear, Aperture at NAB showed some RC lights. And uh, these are not RC, like remote control planes, um, but these are light bulbs that you could plug into a normal lamp socket. So the lamp socket is actually one of the original power sockets. Uh, sometimes you'll run into old electronics, like by old, I mean a refrigerator from the 20s, and it won't have a plug at the end. It will go out to a lamp socket because that was in some areas of the world, the original way power. The first thing you powered in your house was you put in a light and that twisty socket thing was the standard even before uh, plug and prongs were the standard. And you would see that very old stuff. You're not going to see it from anything recent. So, you know, uh, we are moving into a world where LED is everywhere. And many of us are rebulbing. You know, habitually we walk into a film set and we rebulb all the lamps. I'm shooting on location. I want an actor sitting on the couch. I want a lamp right next to them. But if I have the lamp on bright enough that it's lighting up their face, it's going to be too bright and it's going to clip out. So I want to be able to dim it down. So either I put the lamp on a dimmer, but now I don't even have to put the lamp on a dimmer. I swap that bulb out. I put in the aperture bulb, which is a full RGB controllable bulb and fully dimmable. 
and then I can set it exactly to where I want it. So it makes the lamp look right. And then I'll use, you know, presumably in this case, aperture lighting outside of that range, pointing at the person outside of frame so that they're getting illuminated. It looks like they're being illuminated by the lamp, but the lamp itself is not so bright it clips out. This is super exciting. What The reason why I wanted to cover this story, because obviously it came out in NAB, is they actually, one of the reasons, there's so many reasons to go to trade shows. They're fun. There's good times, all sorts of stuff. One of the reasons to go to trade shows is also you get to tell people your opinions. Here's what I want. I would like one app to control all my lights, right? So right now I'm doing a review of a light and I have to install that company's app. I own a Hive. I have Hive's app. Uh, I own a few other lights. I've got an Aperture, although Aperture, uh, it's not full RGB controllable. Um, But it's dimmable and it's remote controllable and it's DMXable. So um, I actually haven't installed the Aperture app, but maybe I should. I own a wide variety of lights and toys and they're all running on their separate apps. And it seems like someone should build an app for iOS and Android that controls all of my lights, probably working over DMX, but maybe they just build it and then individually certify other lighting manufacturers. And honestly, it could be really simple. It could just be a list. I mean, in my dream scenario, there'd be, you could swipe past the list and you could see like a 3D view of where all the lights are. That would be super cool. But it could literally just be a list of, like, here are the eight lights that are within range of different brands. Nanlite, Hive, Aperture, all of these lights are available. Lifex, they're all available for you to control and play with in this one app. Maybe this thing already exists and I just haven't seen it. Gaffer Control obviously can do something like it over wireless DMX, but that's like a $3,000 thing with hardware and software. I'm talking about, like, I own an iPad. I would spend $40 on that app, I think. I would spend $5 on that app if it supported three lights. And then I would up to 40 if it supported infinite lights. So talk to me. Are you uh, an app builder? You can just build it. I can consult. I can give my opinions or thoughts. You can quiz other people. If this exists, let me know on Twitter. And I'm embarrassed that I don't know about it. I totally should know about it. I haven't used it. So that is the weekend Film Tech. This is Charles Hain. Please subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. You can sign up for our mailing list where I will send links to the stories we covered. June 20th in New York. Adorama Inspire, I'm hosting a panel on entrepreneurship and film with all sorts of cool people, founder of Encrawl, founder of Hive, business journalist, all sorts of good stuff. And um, yeah, tell your friends who are other filmmaking nerds about the podcast. And I will see you guys all next week for more of the Week in Film Tech.